get in the way, but that your word and your spirit would would reign true today, Lord God, and that you would just t- touch the hearts of the folks who are here and, and move in a way that is just mighty and precious. I uh, am, well, we're, uh, we're, we're kind of moving into the next uh, part two of this series we're working on um, in, in John 4, and we're, we're talking a lot about miracles right now and knowing Jesus, and, and actually, I, uh, as I was preparing this message, I read a, I read a story about a gal who was in, uh, in the hospital on her deathbed. And, and uh, this is a preacher who had um, written this, and he, he talked about going and sitting at the deathbed with this young lady and her family and praying and, and you know, praying for healing. And, and the, the gal prayed repeatedly, God, you know, if you just heal me and bring me out of this, um, I'll, I'll change and I'll, I'll worship you, I'll follow you, I'll be in church every Sunday, I'll do all these things. And she had her deal, right? And, and um, the doctors gave her no chance. I mean, it was a you are not going to survive this. And then miraculously, she did. And and the first Sunday she was out of the hospital, she and her family were, you know, in the front rows. You know somebody is especially holy when they're in the front row. That's what Michael's always there. Um, <laughs> um, and and um, her whole family was there. And after about a month, um, she was there. And after a second month had gone by, she wasn't there anymore. And, and this, like, great peak that she had reached after this miraculous thing had happened, this, you know, gift from God, like, like she, she meant her trade at the time, and, and in the end, it just didn't, it didn't hold, and, and, you know, the minister went and talked to her, and she had all these reasons, you know, well, I probably would have been healed anyway, and, you know, well, God doesn't really care, you know, if I'm keeping my end of the deal, he's God, like, he's, you know, he understands, and, and, you know, I thought that was weird. I, I, it's kind of been running around in my head since I read it. Um, and actually, I can see this in other places. Like when I work at the home, um, I, I, we would get guys in um, who, who'd been sitting in jail for long periods of time. I met a guy who'd been in jail for six months, and he uh, came in into the, into the treatment center. He was for, for drug treatment, if I'm not mistaken. And his, his whole line was, well, you know what? I, I was begging God to get me out. So, God, if you just get me out of jail, I will do anything you want. I'll commit my life to you. And, and then God got me out of jail, but he put me in drug treatment. And that wasn't really what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted God to send me home so I could get back to life the way it was. And, and in the end, like, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to who, you know, make that deal with God. You know, God, if you just, and, and it's crazy how often it doesn't stick. Have any of y'all ever been in that spot, by the way, where you're like, God, if you just, do what I want, then I will. And, and I mean, it is a crazy thing. But, like, actually, if you look into the scriptures, um, there's a, a pattern of this. Israel, you go back to the, the book of Exodus, which is a great book. I recommend it highly. It's um, part of a best-selling collection. It was an awful joke. I, <laughs> but, but the book of Exodus, you see where, where the people of Israel, like the, the Jewish people, are in slavery and through a series of amazing, like, earth-shattering miracles, God delivers them. He brings them out of this awful, like, like oppressive, crushing situation and, and, and um, you know, parts the Red Sea and drowns the Pharaoh and his army. Not only did they leave slavery, but they got paid to leave. You know, like the people gave them their wealth to leave. Just get out of here, you know. Go. We don't want you here anymore. You're wrecking our country. And when they finally get into freedom, the first thing they do is complain. Well, hey, we're in the desert. Now we're going to starve to death. Thanks a lot, God. 
so God gives them bread from heaven. And when they get their bread from heaven, they complain because it's not good enough. <laughs> well, we want meat. God, can you give us meat? And he starts sending them pigeons to eat. And then they have so many pigeons, they start complaining about that. And then they, you know, well, God says, well, go fight this battle. Well, we're not going to go fight that guy. There's no way. And God says, well, now you're in trouble for that. Well, fine, you know, we'll go fight him then. No, it's too late. No, nope, we're going to go fight. And they go fight and get beat. You know, and like one thing after another, after another, after another, they would see where God would act in these huge, like giant ways. And in response to it, they did kind of the opposite of what they should do, right? Um, and, and the crazy thing that takes place there is like these miraculous occurrences, God being in the neighborhood. I mean, literally, like the, the nation of Israel was led by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. I mean, if you doubted God's existence, you could just walk over to it and like erase all doubts right before your own life was erased because you came too close to the pillar. Um, and, and like, like there was no way for them to doubt. Like faith was not even a question. It was just he's there and he's going to do these things. And in the end, like the opposite is what came out. They had no faith, right? Didn't trust God at all, right? The more God did, the less they trusted him. And there's this awful lesson that comes about with it. Um, miracles on their own do not produce faith, right? Miracles on their own cannot change your life. Miracles on their own, like, there's just this whole, like, truth to it. I mean, real faith comes through trusting the word of God, trusting Jesus, um, like, like who Jesus really is. And we'll get into that. Um, but maturity of faith means trusting. And for the Jewish people, they didn't trust because they didn't have to, right? Um, and, and because they didn't have to, they stayed like these, almost like babies. You know what I mean? Any of you all have or have had little kids or spent time around little kids, and they have tantrums about stuff that doesn't even make sense? You know, or, or you make a deal with them. Hey, you know what, if you, I read a, a psychological study they did with children where they would offer them, you know, a, a Hershey's kiss now, or if you wait 15 minutes, you can have two candy bars. And, like, below a certain age, below a certain maturity, they, they like, children, like, physically cannot wait. They want what's in front of them now. And it reminds me, have you know, any of y'all ever seen uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Not the weird new one, which I like, but the weird old one. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was the character Veruca Salt, and she, her last song in that movie is, Don't Care How, I Want It Now, right? And, like, it's easy to, like, fall into that place. And I'm, I'm not even going to lie, I'm that guy too, right? I, don't, I hate ordering from Amazon because I don't want to wait. That two days is inconvenient. Um, I, you know, I, I've been, I've been a believer for almost, well, over 20 years now, I think. Is that about right? Over 20 years now, 25. Golly, wow, that's a long time. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen God do some amazing things in response to prayer, but, like, I still get frustrated. And I still say, God, you know, why can't you do this faster? You're, oh, man, this is a waste of time. God's never going to do what I want him to do. Like, or, hey, I'm obeying. Like, we're, you know, it's, I'm supposed to be different because I'm obeying. Let's do this. Come on, God. <laughs> I'm putting money in the vending machine. Why isn't it paying out? Um, last week, we talked about uh, John 4, like 44 to, like 43 to 45. And basically what happens is it's just a saddle verse is what it's called. It's the beginning of John or Jesus traveling back into Galilee. And he, it says basically, hey, you know what? I'm going there, but a prophet in his hometown, he's got no honor. 
And then the very next line is, and the people welcomed him because they heard they saw the miracles he performed in Judea. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. They welcomed him. They were happy to see him. But the miracle, like because they saw miracles, isn't that like honor? Aren't they honoring him? And in reality, they weren't. And we talked about that last week. It's online if you'd like to listen to it. Um, but as we kind of dive into this week, we're going to look at sort of the repercussions of this. Um, trusting the miracles, trusting like like the trappings of God does not mean you have a relationship with him, right? And, and we're going to see this play out. Uh, this is John 4, 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. So Jesus had been there before. This is the first miracle he performs, like he turns water into wine at a party and and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, the official, um, a lot of times it's translated like a royal official. Um, this guy is probably a servant or an employee of, um, of Herod Antipas. Um, Herod Antipas technically wasn't a king. He was like a, you know, uh, um, like a governor. But he called himself a king. <laughs> and most of the locals called himself a ki- called him a king until like this royal he was a royal official and he had a son who was ill and he comes to 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 Jesus to get him healed. Now there's a parallel in this to a handful of other things, but like and we'll get into that. But as we get into it, like like before we get into it, I'm going to sidetrack to Isaiah. Um, in Isaiah 35, this is talking about the Messiah, God's deliverer, um, and it says, "Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped." Then shall the lame men leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And what Isaiah is predicting there is when the Messiah shows up, he's going to heal people, right? Like this is going to be a basic part of his ministry. He's going to show up. He's going to make blind people see. He's going to make mute people talk and deaf people hear and all of this other stuff. And, and like, like this healing thing is predicted. And so as he's showing up, there's all of this expectation because this guy's healing folks. Right. Or there should be expectation because everybody knows these passages, these Jewish people, they would have been required to memorize this in school. Right. Man, I hated memorizing in school. Um, For the Jewish people, yeah, I still kind of hate it Um, (laughs) for these Jewish people. This is this is like what they did in school. They learned to read, reading the Bible, and they just memorized it. And so you would memorize because you didn't have a paper copy you took home. Like, unless you were fabulously wealthy, you didn't have a paper copy at all. Um, so it's not like they had paper copies, so they memorized it. So everybody knew this passage. They would memorize the entire Old Testament during the course of their schoolings. This is no, you know, no hidden thing. Everybody knows that the Messiah comes and he heals people. And this official comes out to see Jesus. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So this man hears about Jesus. He hears about this guy who's a great healer. He comes to him and he um, asks him, hey, come down to my home. Which, by the way, he lives on the Sea of Galilee, which is like downhill from everywhere, right? Uh, From absolutely everywhere. And so come down to my home. You know, it's a 25-mile trip. My son is dying. Come heal him. Um, And Jesus' response And he's in a crowd of folks at this point, right? He says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, this probably ought to be rendered unless you folks or unless y'all, because he's actually kind of condemning the attitude of the whole nation, right? Like, like I'm here and all you expect out of me is miracles. 
All you expect out of me is a magic show. All you expect out of me is a payoff. You know, it's, it's you know, Jesus the one-armed bandit. Just ask him enough times and you might get the jackpot, right? And Jesus isn't down with that. Like, he's not okay with it. And actually, we see him not okay with it in other places. Like, earlier, we, we did John 2 about two months ago. Um, and he, like, this is from John 2, 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw signs, uh, the, the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all the people, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so basically what John says earlier, and this is part of a bigger theme in John, right? Um, and this is important. Now watch this. John's bigger theme is believing is seeing. Everybody got that? Believing is seeing. Um, and, and these folks saw and they believed, but what they believed was not who Jesus was. They believed what they saw. Everybody following me? Meaning like, I know that this guy can do miracles. And so we want to be close to him, right? We want to stand near this guy. Jesus doesn't trust himself to these folks. He's like, you're not going to direct my agenda. I'm not going to let you be in control. I know what's in your hearts. I ain't like submitting to that. Like, he knows what's going on inside them. And, and actually, we see this later in John 6, right after the miraculous feeding, like the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus leaves. He crosses the lake. And on the other side, the crowd finds him, and they're like, hey, where's breakfast? <laughs> it's actually a very funny exchange. I recommend reading it. They come to him, and they're like, hey, we couldn't find you, and we were hungry. And he says, well, this is his response. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, signs, as John uses it, right? What is a sign for, by the way? To give you directions or to inform you, right? You know, you're, you're out driving and you see the, hey, horses in the road sometimes. That's, they're all over Montana, or they should be. Um, and that sign informs you that sometimes there are horses in the road. And what happens if you're not careful? You hit the horse, Right? Now, if you're like me, you ignore the signs, you drive as fast as you want, and sometimes you hit things, right? I haven't. I never do. Um, I get stopped by the cops. Um, but those signs inform you of things. So when John says, you saw signs, or when Jesus said, you saw signs, and John emphasizes this word signs because he uses it over and over again, signs are miracles that inform you of something about who Jesus is. Now, if we look at the Isaiah passage a minute ago, what's it telling us? That Jesus is this Messiah guy who showed up and performing miracles, right? It's telling us something about Jesus' identity. The signs do not exist for their benefit. They exist so they can know Jesus. And he tells them, look, you guys are so shallow. All you want is miracles. And he says to these guys, in, after the feeding of the 5,000, you're not here because of the signs. You haven't learned anything about me. You just want what you want, and you want it now, right? Like Veruca Salt, don't care how. I want it now, right? And so Jesus, you know, we continue here. The official said to him, uh, sir, come down before my child dies. Now, this is not a request. Um, in the Greek, this would have been an imperative. This is a command. He has come to the miracle worker and he said, hey, come to my house now. I need you now. Now, Honestly, if your kid was sick, how many of y'all would like maybe try and push a little bit sooner, right? 
and it's just, I need you to get here now. And like he demands this of Jesus. And Jesus responds in a very like similar way. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Go, by the way, is an imperative again. So this guy commands him, hey, come to my house now. And Jesus responds, now nah, go home. And actually not even nah, go home. He's like, no, go home. Your son's fine. Right? Um, in the ancient world, the assumption was, now watch this, and this is a big deal. This is a common assumption in the ancient world that miracle workers had to be physically present in order to perform a miracle. Everybody with me? Like, if the guy wasn't there, it wasn't going to happen. And the assumption was, like, like either you come with me and do this, or it ain't going to happen. Now, there's a parallel here, by the way, if you want to, in the readings for the week in the bulletin, there's a parallel to another story where a centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, come heal my servant. And Jesus responds, or he says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come right away. He says, no, you don't have to come. Because, like, I'm, I'm a general. I know how it is. You just command it, and it's going to happen. And Jesus is like, wow, you got some faith, because he trusts that Jesus has authority, right? This guy is not coming to Jesus with a trust or a faith or anything like that. He's coming and saying, fix my problem. Now, it's common for preachers, like it's one of the most common things in commentaries to criticize this guy for it. But I'm going to tell you, it's probably written by guys who don't have kids, right? Or have never been stuck in an awful spot. Have any of y'all ever been in an awful spot where you demand, like, come on, God, help me, I'm desperate. I, the week I got married, I got fired. No. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> Continues to be the best decision I ever made in my life next to deciding to follow Jesus. Jeez, um, no. <laughs> The week I got married, like like literally days before I got married, I got fired from my job. And so I got married unemployed. And I remember, actually, it's been like, actually, it was a life-changing experience for me. I've never been fired from a job before, never since. Um, you know, God willing, never again, right? Um, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I'm making this worse. Um but I was desperate because I was going to get married unemployed. And I was scared, right? And I begged God, hey, help me out of this. Help me out of this. Help me out of this. Come on, fix it, God. Come on, fix it. Do something. And, and there was a lot of frustration attached to that and a lot of fear. And I wasn't thinking about my theology at that point, right? I was thinking about my fear. And everybody, like... I'm willing to wager that everybody in this room has had that experience where you're not thinking your theology, you're not thinking these things, you're thinking, God, this hurts, do something. Is there anybody who hasn't had that? I figured it was an easier way to ask. God, this hurts, please, please, please act. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Isn't it true? Um, so this man says, just move it. You know, my child's dying. Come on. And Jesus responds, go. Your son will live. Now there's a cultural imperative. Like I said, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This guy was in a position where he had a choice to make. Well, he didn't really have much of a choice. He wasn't going to move Jesus, right? But, like, he could have been ticked off, right? He could have responded with anger. He could have gone home assuming, well, that's it. My kid's dead, right? Nothing to be done. This is it. Um, but he believed Jesus. He believed the words that Jesus spoke, 
He took Jesus at his word. He believed that he was able to heal at a distance, which is completely outside of their realm of understanding, right? Um, He chose to believe. Now, um, there's parallels to this in our world, aren't there? I would believe God, but science. Isn't it true? Actually, I don't even think there's a conflict there personally, but like you have folks tell you enough, like, oh, God can't be because of science. Really? Can you cite an experiment? Can you cite anything? No, it's just science. God's not there. Well, okay, that makes sense. Or I would believe God except I can't see him. If I could see him, I'd believe. And the reality is if you saw him, you probably still wouldn't believe because it's the truth of it. Belief is built on something tougher. It's built on something more difficult. It's built on trusting Jesus for who he is and at his word. And that is hard. I'm going to wager that's something that every farmer experiences. You trust that the rain's going to fall, right? You trust trust that the plants are going to grow. You trust that there's not going to be hail. You trust that sometimes those things happen. Then you trust that God's going to drag you through it like in one piece. Or that it's not going to be as bad as it could be. Um, Helpless before God is a hard place to be. Um, but it teaches us to trust in a very different way than we than we normally would. Um, and we, we say, well, I just it'd be easier if I could just see it, but you, you don't get that. Um, as he was going down, he was going home, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So like he's on his way downhill again. It's about a 700-foot drop. He's all downhill from here. And his servants come out and meet him and tell him, oh, hey, he's healed. Um, So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said, yesterday at the seventh hour when the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he lived, or and he himself believed in all his household. So, like, this guy trusted Jesus, and Jesus was good for his word, right? Um, This does raise a funny question for us, Right? It does raise a funny question, that is, what can you exactly trust Jesus for? Everything. Um, But sometimes it means that we trust Jesus that things are going to work out the way we want them to. Right? Oh, well, I want it this way. And sometimes what's best for you isn't best. Isn't that awful? But it does mean that sometimes Jesus acts. I actually, reading this story, I called Carly and asked for permission to talk about her. Um, reading the story, I kept thinking about Carly and the day she stood up here and talked about Nancy, right? I mean, and how much she trusted, you know, well, I I know he can, and I'm going to trust that, right? What a profound faith. That's amazing. I mean, I I wouldn't even want to be in her spot. I think I'll confess. There's a part of me that was like, well, yeah, we should trust God, but he's probably not going to do that. Anybody else think that? I'm, I'm of weak faith, like I'll acknowledge it. So you ever feel bad about your faith? No, I get paid for this and I'm awful. Um, thank you for not amening. I <laughs> but the reality is that trusting God and stuff like that is hard because sometimes God doesn't, he doesn't act. And sometimes he doesn't act because it's what's best for us. I walked into marriage without a job. In retrospect, if I had found a job the next day, if any of the places I went begging for a job had given me a job, I wouldn't be here today. I thank God I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not where I would have been. <laughs> I thank God that he does things his way and not my way. Um, I, 
I've had, I've had sin that I've gotten stuck in, and I begged God to fix it instantly. Instead, I, got a, I had the opportunity to dig my way out, and I had the opportunity to deal with the pain of, like, learning to grow. And in the end, I look back and say, man, it's a good thing that I learned through the pain of it because I, I'm better because of it. It's a good thing that God taught me to trust him when life was miserable because, honestly, if I hadn't learned to trust him, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, faith comes sometimes through hard things. Can faith come through miracles? Well, obviously, in this instance, it did, right? Can we trust that God will act? Yes, we can. Yes. Sometimes I don't feel that way, right? Unfortunately, God doesn't base what he does based on how rotten I am. Um, sometimes God acts despite me. Um, now, this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, we know that Jesus performed a whole mess of miracles along the way, right? Um, we know this isn't actually the second miracle, but John, as a part of his ongoing theme, is building something out of these signs, right? The first sign was the, the wine, you know, water into wine, and Jesus eclipses a ceremonial law, right? Like Jesus takes away the ceremonial law. He becomes something better um, than, than the ceremonial law. In this instance, Jesus heals at a distance, demonstrating that he has power and command, right? Um, and it's a sign. We can trust the truth that God can heal from wherever he is. God can fix from wherever he is. Somet sometimes God does it slowly. I mean, honestly, God turns water into wine every day, doesn't he? This just takes like a year. <laughs> you got to plant seeds and tend vines and wait for them to grow, and then you got to turn those grapes into grape juice, and then you got to wait for it to ferment. But in reality, like this is all a part of God's like creation. It happens every day, and honestly, God heals every day, and sometimes He chooses not to. Even Lazarus, who He brought back to life, Lazarus died eventually because our home isn't here. The promise that Jesus gives us that's worth trusting, and watch this, this is the most important thing, is not that he will make our life perfect. The promise God gives us through Jesus is not that we'll have our best life now, or that if you believe him enough, if you pray for, I want my Ferrari, or my hot tub, <laughs> God, just give me the hot tub, I believe you can do it. That's not how it works. Jesus came to give us something better than anything in this world, right? Like any hot tub, any Bentley, any Gulfstream, I'm not talking about anybody in particular. Um, but Jesus came to die for our sins and to save us, to bring us closer to God, to help us overcome our brokenness. Um, I can stand here and preach the gospel today because I'm forgiven, and I can do so with confidence because I'm forgiven. And I can tell you folks, everybody who's sitting here, if you trust in Jesus like as your Savior, like, like if you submit your life to him, if you like follow him, he saves you. Like Death is not the end then. It's actually the beginning of something better. Um, but it begins with that trust. Um, Hebrews 11. Uh, now faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In the end, real faith comes out of trusting Jesus when you can't see it, right? Sometimes Jesus responds and you get a miracle. Sometimes you don't. And in the end, either way, you still have to trust. Sometimes when you can't. Man, that's hard. How does this play out in our lives? Well, um, to begin with, we have to trust that faith in Christ is enough to save us and then follow Jesus because of it. There's a lot of folks along the way who will tell you, you need to work hard enough to be right before God. 
You need to behave yourself or God doesn't love you. If you ever sin again, Jesus stops being your friend and you need to fix it. Um, if you, you know, God's going to punish you if you don't get your life in order. In reality, like you are saved by faith. Um, if you trust in your works, if you trust you're showing up to church, if you trust in, you know, family connection, if you trust in anything other than Jesus' atonement, his death for us, you're trusting in something that isn't Jesus, right? We take Jesus at his word that he is the way, the truth, and the life, but how we come to the Father is through him. That's what he calls us to trust him in. Just like I trust Big D's watch to remind me that I'm running long. Thank you. Um, so we trust in that, and that trust is what is what makes us whole. It's what prompts Jesus to act on our behalf. Um, the second end of this is, while wonders and miracles produce awe, I can go outside and I can stand under the stars in Montana and it can take my breath away, right? But that isn't faith in Jesus. I, uh, I can tell you stories. I could stand here all day and tell you stories about times when I've prayed and God's acted, right? But it's not until I believe in the words of Jesus, like believe the words of Jesus and believe his work and commit myself to like being submitted to them and following him and being a part of that, that it becomes truth because words produce faith. That's why if you want more faith, by the way, you pray and you spend time in the word, right? Because that's how it produces faith. It's not, well, I met a kid once who was insane um, in, at the home. He, he ran out into the snow and ran out onto the ice-covered pond. And he ran back up and he said, I just proved God doesn't exist. I was like, wait, so you can just break through the ice and die? <laughs> I think that was actually in your favor. And he said, no, I, pray every, I prayed this morning that God would prevent me from doing stupid things anymore. And that was stupid. Okay. <laughs> um, it was stupid on a bunch of levels. In reality, like, faith in Christ means, like, trusting in God. It means coming to a place where we believe him for what he is, and we believe that he can change us. I struggle with this. Anybody else struggle with this, by the way? Really? Just three of us? Man. Four. Sorry, I shouldn't have said fourth hand. Um, but it means trusting. It means Every day getting up and believing, I need to do this. I need to follow Jesus. I need to draw closer to him. He needs to be my, like, personal friend. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my Lord, which means boss, by the way. Um, vague and personal faith doesn't save us. Showing up to church doesn't save us. Giving money doesn't save us. None of that stuff does. It's trusting Jesus for our salvation. We're going to close in prayer. And my challenge for you this week is, as we close in prayer is to look at your heart and ask yourself, what do I trust for my salvation? What is making this right in my life? How is God fixing me? Yes, through Jesus. Um, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just move in our hearts and help us to recognize the things that we trust that are not you. Help us to recognize the things that we look to that are not you. Help us to, to be strong in, in our reliance on you, Lord. I pray that you make the gospel like salvation through faith in your, in your son and your death for us. I pray that you would make that the center of our lives. Help us to lean on it every day in brand new and in new ways. Help us to trust that, that you're at work in our lives and, and that you'll make it right. In Christ's name, amen. Don't forget lunch meat in the kitchen. It's